Hello and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. We are going to talk later about Death Race, which sounds thrilling for such a podcast. But first, some sad news to start with, and that is the surprise, incredibly sad, passing of Ken Block. I think shock is probably the right word, but my God, what a legacy to leave behind. I was woken up, I think, by somebody's text, possibly yours, possibly Jamie's, saying, yeah, with, a, with a link to the, the very, one of the very first news reports about this coming in, and I genuinely couldn't believe it, and I got out of bed early to go and try and find you know, some internet to go, is this true? And unfortunately, it is. And of all the things Ken Block did in his long and storied career, I think you didn't expect him to, to pass on this way because he seemed indestructible. And holy cow, what a legacy to leave behind. There's been loads of brilliant, brilliant pieces written about the outsize influence Ken Block had on car YouTube, car TV in the late 2000s and 2010s. Um, I'd recommend going and reading Matt Farah's piece on Road and Track for that because Mm. it's a really, really well-written dissection of what... Ken Block's Jim Carner practice video, the very first one, did to the the car landscape online back in whenever it was two thousand and eight. It came out of absolutely nowhere, blew up like crazy, and all of a sudden, once again, we all wanted to be in a rally in Pretzer, bouncing off the limiter. And I hadn't felt that way since Colin McRae passed on. The Jim Carner's just got bigger and more crazy and more involved. You know, some of them had sharks in, some of them were all over San Francisco. <laughs> um, I went back and rewatched all of them. Because as as an awful lot of people have done, because the top of every single comment thread are memories and, you know, RIP Ken Block, how much he and his driving and this series meant to people, it just cannot be understated. But I went back and watched them all again. The first one still rips. It's still really, really cool, mm. especially because it comes out of nowhere. There's almost no context apart from some title cards explaining what Jim Carner is. And then... You know, that mega impreza prepared by Crawford Performance, just honestly, it makes everyone go, wow, why didn't the rally impressors look like that? <laughs> I have to admit, I watched all of them, but I have favourites. The first one, obviously, because it's the first. Uh, the third one, I think, might be my total favourite because it's at a, like a real racetrack and a proper curio of a racetrack with a very, very steep banked cornering. I'm not even going to try and butcher the, the pronunciation of this racetrack, but if you Google <laughs> Ken Block's Gymkhana 3, you'll see this racetrack. It has insanely steep banking, which presents an almost unique challenge for this kind of thing where you watch him kind of yanking the handbrake and the car wants to drift sideways down the banking and he's trying to keep it in in place to, to do another ludicrous turn around a cone. The precision on 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 show is incredible, but this one more than the others. You know, you, they couldn't really simulate the physics of what's it's like to yank a handbrake on a car doing a hundred miles an hour. You know, at seventy five degrees on a banking, they just couldn't figure that one out. They just had to go and do it. Um, <laughs> and I love it. I absolutely love it. Right down to the point where at the very end, he just puts his foot down and, and shreds the tires down to the canvas. 
it's <laughs> it's so good. And the other one I wanted to call out is Climb Carner, his version of Climb Dance, uh, run up the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in one of the later Hoonigan trucks. Truck or car? I'm not 100% sure which one it is. Oh, it was the it was the Mustang. I think so. It? Yes, big flat, low, yes. wide. Sorry, not the truck. The Hoonistang. I can't remember what it was called. Hoonicorn, maybe. Um, Hoonicorn. It it's it is one. Sorry, just a button. The Larry Chen on his print store has this photo of that car hanging off the edge, one wheel over the edge with a big cloud of dust and I'm so tempted to, to get a copy of that print. It's for, worth it, I think. It's in, office. you know, that shot is is very, very famous. It, the, the, you know, a totally unplanned moment as well. Um, Ken just going a little bit too hot in and that's in the film. The film is is effectively their tribute to the very, very famous Climb Dance short movie that uh, was made with Ari Vatanen in a Peugeot 205 T16 um, back in 1986, oh, I want to remember. No, to 406? Sorry, yes. If only we knew a Peugeot specialist. Um, anyway. You know, it's it's a it's a, a bonkers car with loads of wing and aero, and it has a very, very famous mm. moment where Vatanen gets blinded by the sun and sticks his hand up to um, shade his eyes from, from the sun because you're so high up. And, of course, I'm watching the whole thing, waiting for Ken Block to do it, and I'm not disappointed because, spoiler alert, he does. I, I loved it, and it was it's one of... <laughs> The whole series is an incredible legacy, but look at the, look at the whole thing he founded, Hoonigan, and the whole concept of having fun in cars on screen. You know, he blazed a trail that we all owe a debt of thanks to. I mean, I was I wrote down a couple of notes of things that are directly you know will have directly come from the original Jim Carner. I think there's aspects of Need for Speed in there. Um, Netflix's Hyperdrive. No Jim Carner, no hyperdrive. Yes, all of the stunts, you know, all of the very, kind of very true. There's a, there's yeah, one yeah. in uh, Jim Carner too, where he he does a, a donut around smashing up um, fluorescent light bulbs, and I'm fairly sure that is lifted wholesale into Netflix's hyperdrive, which I know is not running anymore. But we we covered it earlier on early in the life of the podcast. We actually loved it, even though it seems cheesy and terrible. We really mm. liked it. Um, <laughs> there's uh, you know lots of the sort of precision stuff that really owes a debt to. To what Ken did, lots and lots of manufacturers tried to do similar kind of precision driving adverts for their cars. I'm reminded of that one that had cars drifting through um, gaps in uh, like foam or whatever. That's the shape of the car. Was it BMW that did that? And then Chris Harris tried to do it on Top Gear with a an <sighs> Alpha Quadrifoglio, and, and it turned out also it- Jensen Button did it in a car, but where it was it was the same idea, but going straight and the, the the cutouts just getting tiny oh i don't i don't recommend seeing that but it's, I, they, they feel you no, a lot of that kind of thing of of suddenly it became okay to show cars you know drifting and sliding and so on and I, I was watching all of these things and i couldn't help but feel um you know when i'm watching them thinking colin mccray would have fucking loved this stuff and you know <laughs> someone is going to come along Maybe not soon, but someone will come along who lights up the online car world in the same way. And we're going to be watching whatever they've put out thinking Ken Block would have loved this. And, you know, it's mm. it's a huge, huge loss for the car community. But mainly, you know, he was a family man and I really feel for his family who've had him unexpectedly 
shockingly taken away. So rest in peace, Ken Block. And I do urge you, if you haven't if you haven't gone and rewatched at least one of the Jim Carner movies, then then do. If you if you search Jim Carner series on YouTube, you'll find a playlist with all of them in there. You'll have your own favourite, but it's really worth checking them all out. I went back and watched like you. I, I kind of picked through a few. One thing I watched last night was the first time he was on Top Gear with James May. And it could so easily have been, go and do the thing that you did on YouTube with James May in the passenger seat and scare him. You know, um, like when he did the the bobsleigh race in the Winter Olympic special, where he was just sat in a rally car and he could be any rally car with any driver and he just looked scared. But... Not only did Ken's personality come through, not only did he do what he did, it was shot so well. They then brought out Ricky Carmichael. Oh, is this the one where they, they had, had like a slow mo shot sort of, of military? Yeah, aircraft. the jump with the plane going the other yes. way that was in, I think, in all the promo shots for that series. It was, you know, a huge stage thing, which is ideal for what Ken does, but it was also brilliant and again mm. i imagine there's a whole legion of people who had no idea who ken block was who will have seen that and gone oh, wow that's pretty cool but the thing was though if you watch that normally if somebody's doing something like i don't know donuts in a car park or something and for some reason it takes off and then they end up on top gear the top gear version looks so much better and so much better produced because there's a proper crew and they take the time and they put the effort in but actually you could almost slot that in between the Jim Carner films. Yeah. And it would just look like it was just another one in the series because they just put so much into it. They did. And he owes an awful lot to his collaborators, Brian Scotto in particular. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but they, you know, depending on the which one you look at, but the, the planning and the budget for them must have been huge. But also the execution, the editing... Um, right down to the, the camera angle choice, the livery on the car. It all has to come together. Um, one thing I was reminded of watching the uh, number five, the San Francisco one, is I wonder whether or not this may have had an influence on some of the, the mountain biking and skate videos we've seen using a city location as a base for craziness. You know, it's traditionally yeah. skate videos and mountain bike videos have done that, but watching the San Francisco one, I'm very much reminded of the very recent Danny McCaskill um, postcard from San Francisco video where it's again using yes. very recognisable portions of San Francisco as a platform to do crazy things with a, a, a wheeled form of transport <laughs> and uh, they may not be directly linked but there was some kind of joy in, in seeing that link for me anyway but yes I mean mega mega loss and I feel... Mm. I feel bad that we won't see another, uh, you know, another piece coming out from him. I know he'd only had a short time working with Audi on their electric, electric Hana series. Um, Whatever it's called, yeah. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what kind of tribute the next Jim Carner is from Travis Pastrana, but it is a note of the man, the outpouring of emotion from every single corner mm. of the motoring universe for someone whose best result in a rally in the World Rally Championship was seventh, um, you know, but who made an enormous success of a business that then allowed him to go and do whatever he wanted in cars and share it with the world. And that's mm. amazing. So, uh, yeah, going to miss him. Definitely, definitely. But I think I think one thing that worked in Ken's favour was that he was in the right place at the right time because one of the things that struck me watching that first Jim Carner practice video, given Ken's background, given everything they've done with DC... It does have a feel of 
a skate video. It has a feel of that sort of slightly... I don't want to say reckless. Reckless is the wrong word. It's that slightly crazy pushing the envelope, go off and shoot the... You know, me and my friends going off and shoot the video of the thing that we love. And I think if he'd been 10, maybe even five years earlier, that first video, and maybe the second one, would have been a VHS or a DVD that a few of us would have passed around. And he would have become, you know, he'd have been there with like Claude Lelouch or um, Stefan Rosa or those people that us go, wow, he's amazing. If you're in the know, you know about this video. Yeah, he needed, you know, he needed online streaming of video to be at a certain point where this would get seen. And that is, yeah, you're right. Timing was something of it. But he's also, you know, clearly an instinctively good marketer of both the brands oh, God, of yes. himself and you know he must have been a dream to work with for Subaru and then Ford and latterly Audi because he seemed like a genuine down-to-earth guy who just loved his cars and I am gonna I'm mm. gonna make a call now and say I expect a a tribute to him at the Goodwood Festival of Speed b yep. I think the cars that are going to be on the sculpture outside the house at Goodwood will be Ken Block's cars Oh, wow. That would be perfect. Because at least two of them are in the UK as well. And he was always there demonstrating his latest creation, ragging it up the hill, Mm. doing donuts. I would be very, very surprised not to see something. But I would also, I I think it'd be a good chance that the the Duke of Richmond would would give him a tribute such like that where you go, okay, how, what are we going to put on that sculpture this year? Um, I, I can't see much past some of Ken Block's greatest cars, to be honest. So I really hope so. I certainly hope for a tribute at the Festival of Speed because I think the man deserves it. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on to, to happier things. And this, I think this came out, was it maybe November they are remaking one of the most boring films we've ever reviewed on this podcast, and that is Bullet, which I did not <laughs> see coming with the guy who isn't Channing Tatum. Yes, what I didn't see coming is that this is going to be directed by Steven Spielberg. So I can totally see somebody going, oh, the rights for Bullet must be around. Let's remake that, you know, but with modern sensibility and, you know, brilliant modern car chases. But I wouldn't have expected the person to be directing it to be Steven Spielberg. That's a bold choice. And he doesn't... I mean, he has previous with amazing car chases. Look at the truck chase in the original um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yes. Look at Duel. He's reportedly chosen Bradley Cooper to star as the new Frank Bullet, which could be pretty good casting, to be honest. Bradley Cooper is pretty good in everything he's in. He's very charismatic and he's a very good actor when given the right part. And... Steven Spielberg doesn't make bad movies. When was the last real stinker <laughs> that Steven Spielberg came out with? The Colour Purple? Yeah, that's a bit harsh. 1941? Also a bit harsh. I like both of those. I can't... I mean, Hook, maybe. And that's a very long time ago. Wow. That's 1993. He has a record of making quality output. So I'm going to put myself as optimistic that this won't be terrible and that they'll recognise the faults of the original and how slow it was, and, and they'll recognise that you mm. can't build an entire movie around one really good car chase and some dodgy continuity. I wonder how much they're actually going to pull out of 
the original because the name and the Mustang, the name and the Mustang and the San Francisco Hills. Because I tried watching the original Ocean's Eleven with you know uh, Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Oh my god, it's a slow film. It's tedious. Yeah, it's widely acknowledged that it was a terrible film, but a great idea that then Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney were able to craft one of the best popcorn heist Mm. movies ever made. And I hope they do the same with this, is that they kind of take the elements of the story and they kind of have those little nods and the winks, you know, the five hubcaps coming off the car or whatever it might be. (laughs) I'm sure there will be a there will be a scene where Bradley Cooper opens a kind of dusty garage and you get a shot from the back with like one tail light and a bit of green paint lit from from behind for some reason. Yeah, just so long as there isn't a Ford Puma next to it in the garage or something. As <laughs> <laughs> a, a deep cut reference for, for people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we'll, we'll see how this goes. We'll have to keep an eye on, on what comes up with this. Things that have also come up recently, uh, Jeremy Clarkson is in hot water once again for a very, very ill-advised newspaper column. He's since turned to Instagram to post a fairly profuse apology and explain the reasoning behind it, not absolving himself. But um, the reports are that most of the content producers that he works with were incandescent, I think is the word he used, with rage about what he'd written. So the rumour is that Amazon will be ending his contract with him at the end of the commissioned content that they've they've asked for so far. So that is three or four more Grand Tour specials and a total of three series of Clarkson's Farm. So the current, what was series one, the upcoming series two, and then a series three, and then that will be it, and all ties between Amazon and whether it's Clarkson or whether it is their W. Chump and Sons production company that he shares with Hammond and May, I think they're, un- I mean, maybe, they- maybe they'll reconsider, but either way, we've been saying the Grand Tour is closer to the end than the start of it now. Maybe this is a blessing in disguise. It'll be a shame for a hastily written column that I can't believe nobody at the Sun subbed and sent back going, are you sure? (laughs) I mean, I know it's the Sun and they have very, very, very low journalistic standards, but any editor ought to have taken one look at that and gone, oof, I, I think in the interests of, we should just check with Jeremy if he wants to reread this before we go we go with it but yeah either way yeah. there is a good chance that Clarkson will will be ending his contract with Amazon which means after a certain point another couple of years time no more Grand Tour you know Jeremy's 62 now James May is 60 Hammond's in his early 50s there is a limit to how long they can keep doing this and I think we've said this before and yeah. it would be nice that they would be able to go out on their own terms rather than it being dictated to them by yet another Clarkson heat of the moment incident. <laughs> may, yeah heat of the moment mistaken thing uh, but again maybe it's a blessing in disguise I have to admit when they go when the Grand Tour finishes I will miss the show enormously because as much as BBC's Top Gear has kind of found its own feet and has moved towards being far more entertainment um, oriented, you know, moved to BBC One and so on with a light entertainer as the sort of the the head presenter, if you will. 
they just don't do it to the same standard that Andy Willman and the Grand Tour crew do. You know, they the, the quality of the cinematography and the output that they make is second to none. Nobody does it better. And mm. that's going to go away. You know, that's that team is going to disband Willman unless, unless they bring on somebody new. And I, I did wonder at one point whether or not Top Gear would, you know, or the Grand Tour would benefit from introducing replacement people but the problem is the chemistry between those three is so hard to replicate and the chemistry between Clarkson and Wheelman and Richard Porter is so hard to reproduce that perhaps it's best to go okay you had 20 to 25 years of this and now we are done mm. and we'll go and make our own TV programs and you know, with other broadcasters I could absolutely see Hammond and May both doing work for the BBC again or equally signing their own contracts again with Amazon but I do think that this may spell the end of the Grand Tour and I for one will miss it because I do keep going back and re-watching shows I re-watch some of the specials yeah. I enjoy the content I enjoy the quality of it so much that, you know that you watch it on a 4k tv and it jumps off the screen at you it's so so beautiful and even though you know, Top Gear current Top Gear is is good it's not that good it just isn't. And I, I don't know if that's because they don't have as much time. They're still suffering in a post-pandemic. Still things aren't quite back to normal feeling. Their shows feel more rushed. And that could be because they are. <laughs> but it's it's not quite... Say, it's still, you know, a step above anything else out there. Uh, but it's... The Grand Tour just did it better. And, and in terms of the the technical quality of it maybe not always the concept maybe not always some of the script but the the technical delivery of it is second to none and i will miss that level of care and attention and love poured into delivering automotive content because i have a feeling that they'll all want to call it a day by then i think they're lucky that they get to have a run at the end of their contract i think if there's if they're someone at the bbc they'd have just, it would have been like Top Gear. It would have just been done and yeah. we'd have had the white elephant joke again. And I think at least this way, they get to go out kind of pl in a planned way. We think, I mean, all um, of this is conjecture, right? We, no well, one's come forward and said anything. Is. No one's it's, confirmed it, yeah. It's been, it, but it's been leaked, presumably, by, by people. And whether or not Clarkson's apology goes any way towards mitigating... The, the effects his column had and, and the reaction it got from his collaborators. Um, I don't know. But either way, I mean, it may well be a blessing in disguise. But enough of Grand Tour sadness. Slightly more exciting news, especially if you are a Formula One fan. Drive to Survive Season 5 is coming soon on February the 24th and they just dropped a teaser trailer, which you can find on YouTube. Are you excited about Which tells Drive you to... nothing. <laughs> yeah, which tells you absolutely nothing. Are you excited about Drive to Survive Season 5? No. Okay. That, the, the, <laughs> that tells, that's all you, that all you need to say. The problem they have, I think, is that Season 4 and the 2021 season was is, is unrepeatable. Okay? And one of the things you noted very, um, very sagely at the end of Drive to Survive season four, when they covered the events of Abu Dhabi 2021, is that they didn't sensationalise any of it. They just told, they just told it as it was. It was, it was not what they have done with other things, which is to try and put a sort of almost reality TV spin on it. They just told it as it was and left everyone to go, "What the hell just happened?" And 
you know, are they going to have to work really hard to make 2022 interesting? Because it just wasn't. It was a terrible Formula One season that bored the tits off of almost everybody. And, <laughs> you know, there's a couple of bits of intrigue and interest. You know, there'll be a Danny Rick episode because he managed to scramble the car to fifth place once. I don't know if I'm even going to watch this because I watched the 2022 season and was, you know, quite disappointed with just the general lack of competitiveness and I'm not sure how I you know I'm not sure I want to watch you know Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon sniping at one another and Lance Stroll being scared of his dad who's making him drive a Formula One car (laughs) and you know Lewis Hamilton being sad about how much of a shit brick his car is and George Russell having a really shiny face I just don't know so I'm going to wait for all the reviews to come in and maybe make a call and watch selected episodes. But this is not, for me now, essential viewing in the way that it once was. And I do wonder how long they can keep doing this. Because if 2023 goes the way 2022, and there's a good chance it will, how do they make dull seasons where one car dominates above all else? Interesting. Because it's not about the racing. What was the, There was one season where like Lewis Hamilton was... They kind of referenced the fact he'd won the championship in the last five minutes of the last episode. The racing doesn't matter. That's true. That's true. As I was saying that, I did think, yeah, they don't often cover that. But I don't know. Was there other interesting stuff? If you think back to when it first came out, we didn't see those conversations. We didn't go in the debriefs. We didn't see the behind the scenes stuff. We didn't hear all the team radio. But now they know, now they are aware of the format and they play to the format and no one plays to that format more than Christian Horner. And he's just had a year where his car dominated to an extent that hasn't really been seen since 2002 and 2004 with Ferrari. If you thought he was smug and annoying before, you haven't seen (laughs) anything yet. Can you imagine how many times he's going to be talking about how rubbish Mercedes is and how happy he is about it? And how much he's going to be but rubbing that- it in with every last mention. I, I mean, <laughs> that's one of my principal things for not really wanting to watch it because I can't stand the man at the best of times. And this is going to be you know, like Christian Horner squared. But it's not just about the uh, about that. It's not about just about them sort of doing the stories because it's there's always been an element of drive to survive that is... Here's Carlos Sainz doing his shopping in a McLaren 570S because that, you know, clearly set up the cameras or... Back in the day, I mean, come on, man. He's been driving for Ferrari for two years now. (laughs) Two years? One year? I can't remember. You know, he's going to have been in a, you know, a Roma or something. But there was also the, the episode, I think, in the last series where all the Williams board got together to discuss who was going to replace George Russell, I think. And... They were all sitting awkwardly around this brightly lit boardroom. <laughs> I didn't all watch in that branded one. team kit. And you're going, nobody has a, a board meeting where you're wearing your sponsor's kit. They just turn up in normal business wear because they are business people doing business things. But I think the, the thing is, though, that Drive to Survive, the first season, where we sort of saw those unseen hidden moments... It was genuinely something that we hadn't seen before. And yes, they, you know, the Foley work was overly strong and, you know, people go, oh, you know, that happened on lap 74. That didn't happen on lap 37 like they said it did and all that sort of stuff. But it was still, you could still pick bits out where you kind of went, wow, that's amazing. Now, if you look at F1, 
forget Drive to Survive. If you just look at the content that F1 put out, you know, last year we had, last year, two years ago now, we had the comms between the teams and Michael Massey, which we'd never heard before. We have more radio than we've ever had before. We have all these behind-the-scenes featurettes on YouTube that we'd never had before. We, you know, they 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 literally go back. Um, F one, this is on YouTube, and they splice together all the team radio from all the cars to play out the race as it happened to the drivers. You get this whether you watch Drive to Survive or not, and I think that there is going to be a point where. Drive to Survive has to generate its own content. We know that the producers have meetings with the teams and all the marketing people, but there's so much content now in F1. You know, there are so many cameras, there are so many mics that this stuff gets picked up where it wouldn't have been, you know, like you watch old F1 races like from 20 years ago, and you go, well, where are all the graphics? Where are all the cutaways? Where are all the replays? Where's all the team radio gone? You really, really miss it. And we're so used to it now that we kind of go, oh, it's, you know, it, that's just part of the experience. So I think the challenge that Drive to Survive has is that it has to encapsulate more than just the racing because people will watch the racing and F1 don't want it to become a highlights reel, and I don't think um, is it box to films. Box don't to want box. it to become a, a, a box to box. Don't want it to become a, a highlights package either. It's not for us. That's the thing. It's another audience. I suppose you're right. It's it's not for us. Although that audience has been brought into F1, they are now F1 fans. They're not just casual viewers. Mm. If we're to believe the viewing figures and the attendance at races, you know they've captured that audience. And they have expectations. Yeah, they have expectations now too. And 2022 did not live up to that. And I'm struggling to think of interesting things that happened in the season that weren't on the track necessarily. All the good Mm. stuff happened after the end of the season with, you know, team bosses leaving and other team bosses being sacked and you know maybe there'll be a bit about the oscar piastri contract saga in fact there's gonna be yes. stuff like that but there, there has to be that was a I big know, story if you're a red bull fan you're gonna love this season because it's going to be nine episodes of them rubbing it in mercedes <laughs> face because i'm you know it feels like the series is sponsored by red bull and christian horner at this point but if you are not, or if you're a neutral even, I think there's going to be less to find in this series. I'd love to be proven wrong, um, but I'm going to wait out the reviews before I before I watch it. And I'm certainly not going to be lining up to stream this on, on launch day. Shall we go from things that we might be watching to things that we will be watching, we have watched? Can't yes, we'll have to, we'll right, have to whiz, whiz through this quite quickly because uh, we've got some reviews to do and we're going to have to whiz through those quickly too because, man... <laughs> We were a little out of practice at doing this in a okay. tight in a tight Car- forty five. So, what have we been watching? Car Trek multi episode or one long feature? I preferred the one long feature. Uh, Me in too. This, in this instance, I think the 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 concept. So, there have been two series of Car Trek come out. One with them. Uh, I forget what the concept was for the price of a Corvette Z06. <laughs> I think it's it, basically the, the very first Car Trek was the price of the new Corvette C8. Three, what could you get yeah. for the same price? And then this this 
I forget which season it was, but this the concept of the first one was which car could you get for the price of the Corvette C8 Z06 pack? Because Freddie Tavares Hernandez turns up in his rebuilt McLaren 675LT. Ed Bolian has uh, an orange Audi R8, the excuse yep. me, the Gen 2 angular one. Um, and I've forgotten what side <laughs> Hoover turns up in. Uh, oh, he's, he's ratty Ferrari 458. Porsche? You know, it's a Ferrari 458. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, with, a, uh, one, yeah. with a matte wrap on it that looks just dreadful. It's it's a little underbaked, I would say. It's it's still kind of fun, but this one was a little underbaked. And as one of my friends texted me quite recently, they watched this kind of cold, having not watched any car tracks before. And his first thing was, wow, these guys cannot drive um, <laughs> shout out to Jack Wood for that by the way Jack was like these guys suck at driving and Jack is a fairly handy driver so he would know he, he's a wheelsmith he is he's a steely eyed helmsman and yeah <laughs> he was not impressed by the standard of driving and to be fair they are not drivers I do think that they should probably take some lessons on how to drive around a track because they're, they're all hopeless Ed Bolian's got big balls but they're all hopeless at driving around a track and so you know episodes where they do go to a track always feel a little bit underbaked the second one which was um them going along was it the Appalachian Trail the Appalachian no, Trail it was the Oregon Trail Oregon Trail sorry it, them going along the Oregon Trail in as they called it the Oregon Fail the Oregon which Fail which I thought was quite a clever right. pun yeah it was it was far more engaging I think the cars yeah. were a bunch of like 4x4s and an Audi all road <laughs> which uh, Tavares had, had modded and, and broke almost immediately <laughs> and it felt far more like that this is you, you've 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 studied what Top Gear does on its specials uh, or the Grand Tour and gone we need to have some cars that are going to go wrong or that are not suitable you know reliable cars are dull <laughs> doing a long journey yeah. in a reliable car is dull you need to do a, this in interesting old cars that are going to fail and you need to be prepared <laughs> for them to fail but in, in interesting ways I thought it was much much better it is feature length but it yeah. is worth the watch so I really enjoyed that um, what I have enjoyed far more is the return of Michael Fassbender's Road to Le Mans which has been oh, running yes. weekly on YouTube and I've been watching this I've actually made the time to watch this on a television rather than on my computer because the the quality is second to none it's been so good and of course this is the series where they actually cover the Le Mans race from 2022 that Michael Fassbender competed in and it's fascinating to see the behind the scenes. I watched Le Mans when this happened. I remember that there was a crash during practice, which everyone kind of put down to Fassbender making a mistake. But as you find out, as you watch the as you watch the series, there's a good chance that this wasn't purely driver error. Um, the car had a handling problem that you know their their pro driver Matt Campbell kept saying, "Look, it's not fixed. It's not fixed. The car just feels evil. It, I can't trust it." Um, and and so it goes, and they end up having a crash. And then during the race, he gets taken out by some idiot in a Ferrari who bounces over the curbs and then just uses him as a stopping point, like Gran Turismo cornering, where he just drives into the side of him, puts him in the barriers through no fault of his own. And and you know Michael Fassbender is extraordinarily harsh on himself. And mm. this is a real study, not just in you know what it takes to be an AM driver in this, but also in the the mental side of what it takes to race at this level. And it's so interesting contrasting how he struggles with how the pros try and bring him back to his feet, how Matt Campbell talks to him after the accident and says, look, you 
what's done is done. It's the past. You've got to concentrate on, on the next thing and how they try and give him their advice for getting past, you know, a mistake or an incident. And I found that portion of it fascinating. And it's, it's amazing that Porsche have been so open in allowing the filming to take place. It's amazing that Fassbender has been so uh, honest, unflinchingly honest about how his journey has gone. And I was genuinely sad as you know, as they come up to the end of the race and the end of the series, and I was just thinking, "Well, shit, now what?" <laughs> but they did flash up the end of the the end of the thing. There's a title card that I think says "to be continued," something along those lines, where, where it's like this isn't the end of Road to Le Mans, as it were. But I've loved this series. If you haven't watched them, I mean, go back and watch from the start. The first series is a bit shaky and and kind of poorly edited, and then from season two onwards, it just becomes brilliant. And this is a fitting end to that but if you have been watching them and maybe you've missed a few go back and watch this series it's so good what have you been watching i have been watching um lucky the bernie eccleston story which is on discovery plus in the uk um warner discovery have got the rights in quite a few markets i think i heard the collecting cars podcast with manish pandey where he talks about senna he talks about how he did a, a an Eccleston documentary series. And it's an eight-part series. I'm two parts in so far. And it is not what I expected. Bernie, who is now about 107. Or 92. <laughs> Manish said he, he said he was doing it as, as kind of like a legacy for his son. And there is an element of history being written by the winner. So the way that this differs from something like Senna is that Bernie, dressed in white, on a white background, is talking about his life. He's telling the story of his life, how things used to be, how deals were done, how things happened around him. And it's combined with a mixture of animation and archive footage. But... What really comes across, and admittedly, like I say, I'm only two episodes in, so I haven't got to kind of the Max Mosley and Bernie era of of F1 yet, is just how human he comes across, how he talks about the small things, how he talks about people with passion and with fondness and with a kind of honesty that... Remember when I reviewed the Max Mosley documentary, I said I, I said then that he obviously, he, looking at the timeline, he must have known that he had cancer, and that it it may have been he may have known it was terminal at that point, and this is his kind of chance to tell his story, no holds barred, no need to be nice to anybody. This is his time to tell his story in the way that he wants to tell it. And I get the feeling about that with Bernie. I think that it goes into far more detail than Senna did. I mean, it has to because it runs to eight hours, but it doesn't feel like they're stretching it out. It is engaging. It is interesting. If you have Discovery+, Plus, if you have access to whatever network is showing it in wherever you are, give it a go. Give it a go. 
I I heard the Collecting Cars podcast with with, with Harris interviewing Manish Pandey, and it's a great great podcast. Uh, if you're not subscribers, mm. I encourage you to listen to that one. It's it's a brilliant listen. It gives great background on how Senna came together. It made me want to rewatch mm. Senna, but also how this happened to come together as well. I don't know if I have Discovery Plus. I have a feeling this is going to be tricky to get hold of for quite a lot of people, but I do want to watch it because I think Bernie's a fascinating character and I'm interested to hear what he has to say in his own words. And reportedly, they've dived into the the archive at Biggin Hill and pulled out even more amazing unseen footage that is going to blow your mind. So that is reason enough to watch it for me. Um, a couple of other things I think we should probably pick out from what's been out since we last podcasted about a thousand years ago. Um, Evo's <laughs> Car of the Year uh, video came out. Yep. And it's a really, really good video. Um, the EcoT videos have been variable quality of late because video is expensive and the whole of EcoT is structured around bringing in a really, really engaging story to the magazine rather than setting it up for video. Uh, but this this year's one was pretty good, I thought. And I think that leans quite heavily on Jethro Bovingdon being a really great presenter and having come into his own, uh, possibly with oh, yeah. you know, more practice... Uh, having done Top Gear America and he's excellent. Steve Sutcliffe, some people like him, some people don't. I think he's very engaging in when in how he talks about a car. I like, I like the little joke they make about doing the auto car thing where he has to talk about the ride within yes. the first 10 seconds. That was good. I, they're, they're little more, a little more jokey, a little more informal. Um, I really enjoyed that. Mm. I think a, a bunch of people apparently didn't understand that Jethro was being sarcastic when he spoke about the, one of the cars being a <laughs> yeah. manual, um, not understanding what it was. I really don't see how you could not get that, but yeah. People are strange. People. Um, I, I, it's really worth a watch. I think of of the last few EcoT videos, I think this is one of the better ones. It's still not as it's still not to the standard of some of the earlier ones they had with Sam Riley filming. But I imagine that budgets and time are such that those sorts of videos are not possible. But mm. what we do get, you know, this is something free again. Uh, the EcoT issue is, I don't think it's out anymore, but it was a really good one. Uh, so if you haven't got it, you can probably get it on on back order. But I really enjoyed this. Yeah. And Jethro, Jethro is absolutely becoming one of the best presenters of car stuff. Yeah, I he's, think he's so natural. He's up he there and, with the best. Yeah, he and, he and Henry have got such an amazing on-screen presence and, uh, that... That they've 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 come on so far from their beginnings as as Evo Juniors. Uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to call out briefly. Uh, I was sent. In fact, I found this, but then I was also sent it by a couple of friends. Um, shout out to Chris Free for sending me this. A f- short film called Group B, um, which stars Richard Madden, who is m- most well known, I think, for being in Game of Thrones, but I think he was also in Marvel's The Eternals. Uh, as a rally driver who lost his co-driver and I think brother uh, in a crash who has to return to the car. He's driving a Metro 6R4 and it's kind of a, it's a sort of a psychological okay. study in what it's like to have to put yourself back in a car when the last time you were in it you had a horrible crash and your co-driver was killed. Um, and also mm. a sort of reflection on how ridiculously dangerous and scary the Group B cars were. Um I, I enjoyed watching it. It's about 20 minutes long. It's it's really well made. It's There's less car action, I think, than than maybe I, a lot of people would have liked. Um, I got 
hung up as soon as I spotted that it's a Metro 6R4, but you can see that there are Goodwood Festival of Speed slash Revival stickers in the back window, which totally <laughs> took me out of it. They've tried really hard with like wearing Austin Rover t-shirts for the drivers and, and they've they've worked really hard to make it look period and that that took me out of it so much but that is a very nerdy thing to get hung up on it's worth a watch it's really interesting that someone is has has chosen something slightly different as a route into telling a motorsport story um there is also obviously the the uh a film that we covered bre- uh, at some point in in the last few pods coming out about group b uh but this was a really interesting watch so we'll put a link to that in the show notes and also i want to give a shout out to the mighty car mods channel for putting out a mega film in a in a i think an occasional series they do at the end of the year this is called turbos and temples three this is a series they do where they Mm. fly over to japan which is quite close from australia to japan doesn't take as long as it does for us buy a (laughs) jdm car of some sort and have adventures in it in Japan whilst also stopping by various temples. Hence the title. Uh, in in this particular film, they buy an RX-7. And it's a really beautiful blue RX-7. They go and visit Mazda to meet the guy who is in charge of the Mazda RX-7 and then latterly the RX-8. Um, they buy a bunch of crap from Japanese vending machines. They have food. It's, <laughs> it's, it's two mates living their JDM dream uh, much like that uh, Driftworks film you talked about, where they where they yeah, they yeah, went over to Japan. Us. Yeah, there's a joy in watching people who have a, a, a deep seated love for JDM cars of a certain era, the the 90s and, and early 2000s, and a deep love for Japan and its car culture and its culture in general. Um, it's again, it's a feature film length. It's like it's maybe an hour long, but it's absolutely worth a watch. Beautifully filmed. the The guys, um, Marty and Moog from Mighty Car Mods, are so engaging and watchable. Um, so I <laughs> highly, highly recommend that. And um, if you have a spare fifty eight minutes, do give it a try. Right, we are like fifty Definitely. minutes into this episode, and we haven't even done the reviews yet because <laughs> there's been a lot going on. So I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know whether we're going to have a bumper length episode or we're going to have to whiz through these reviews but we were going to review two films that share almost the same title Death Race 2000 and Death Race and here to tell us about the infamous Death Race 2000 from the 1970s (laughs) is Chris Ratcliffe 1975 indeed so David Carradine stars in a film where the premise is there is a race from New York to LA where all the drivers have to try and run people over. And they get points for the people that they run over. <clears throat> Excuse me. The cars are driven by uh, an eclectic group, shall we say, in the, the year 2000. And I say year 2000 in the biggest of air quotes because it is year 2000 as imagined in 1975. And the whole thing is televised. So as they're racing, all the cars are being tracked, all the scores are being tallied up, and they have um, this announcer who is called Junior, who, if Junior Bruce, if you imagine um, Stanley Tucci's character in The Hunger Games, very big, very flamboyant, isn't everything wonderful? Hey, everybody, welcome to the race. That's the announcer. And all of the cars are are themed. The 
the costumes are OTT, off they go, and they're trying to find people to run over and kill. And they score points. And they say things like, you know, if you run somebody over, then you get this many points. And if they're over 75, then you get that many points. And if they're children, <laughs> then you get more. And Oh, my God. I've seen this. I um, played this game when I was at university. It was called Carmageddon. And I had no idea it was based off of a <laughs> film. But there's, that was very, very similar um, and, and equally so, brutal. <laughs> yes. And so... You've got these, uh, I think it's six drivers, six cars, sorry, go off at the start. There's a driver and a navigator. And they're having trouble finding people because the race has gone on multiple years. It's like a national institution. So they, people are hiding and they are having to go off and find people to run over. And they go past hospital and the nurses are are kind of putting old people out front in the road for them to be collected and um, all this stuff. David Carradine plays a character called Mr. Frankenstein, who whenever he's out, is always dressed sort of head to toe in leather and wearing a mask. There are, there's one car populated by Nazis, actual Nazis. Um, and they go off and they start racing. Um, as the film unfolds, it turns out that there is a a um, a group trying to stop them, um, trying to bring an end to this gruesome race. But the president who supports the race is trying to keep all that hushed up and quiet. So he wants the race to continue he brands these protesters as the french um anything bad that happens to the racers like the the, the presenter kind of gets pulled to one side and sort of said no no no, you must say everything's okay you must say that it's it's good and then they go, no no you must say it's the french um and then the race goes on and and, and stuff like that uh, i won't spoil the the ending because frankly if you make it that far you deserve the ending um it's it's a, a a film of several ideas that have all tried to be the same in the same film and not managing it entirely successfully. There is one about this sort of gory race. There is one idea about the idea of a uh, illegitimate government controlling the media. Then there is the kind of there's there's a, a tone to it which is kind of part probably the inspiration for somebody like um david lynch there is a bit of if you've ever watched uh clockwork orange the stanley kubrick film that has this similar idea of kind of the 70s future so there is there's camera work where there's wide angled lenses and there's odd angles and it all feels a bit kind of psychedelic. There are big rooms with like white walls and bright orange carpets where people all like all of the drivers and navigators are having naked massages for no reason. Um, it was it, the seventies. It was the seventies, and yes, the two women lying next to each other decide to have an argument naked for reasons um it is it is a it is a bizarre little film that was shot on a budget it was like three hundred thousand dollars the gore isn't gory it's real real low budget it's the you know somebody gets run over and there's a there's a literal sort of jump in 
in the cut where obviously this dummy's been put and it's kind of it gets run over and its head explodes and you kind of see three frames of it and um all the cars i was looking into the cars because they're all these kind of themed fiberglass creations they were all apparently i think based on either um the volkswagen carmen gear uh vw beetles or the fiat 500s <laughs> so not quick then not quick oh lots of sped up footage um Apparently the cars weren't road legal, so they had to close the roads whenever they were running. Sometimes, apparently, the cars didn't even run. They just had to push them down the hills and kind of just wait for them to pick up speed. Um, they're all overdubbed with some extravagant V8. But the you're not watching this for the for the driving sequences. Like we talked about cinematography, whether it's you know Baby Driver or whether it's Top Gear or whether it's Ken Block's work. This is none of those. It's like long shots, no sense of speed for cars that aren't going very quickly, clearly sped up. You can tell they're sped up. Um, But it's more the idea of the race. The race is the the thing here you're watching. You're not watching it for the... You're certainly not watching it for special effects. There's one bit where there's a car goes over a cliff and it does that kind of slow drop... And as it starts to roll end over end, when you see the bottom of the car, you can see the plywood where they've obviously made like a wooden buck, hung some body panels on off it. And then it kind of lands with a thump, bounces once, and then bursts into flames because everything bursts into flames. It's, it's quite silly. Like I say, it is... There's some kind of... There's some ideas in there that are kind of interesting but just badly explored. Um, I think the most prescient thing, apart from the rise of Nazis in this era that we're living in, is the idea that you would watch the race in 2000 on a 55-inch 3D TV, which I went, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. You got one thing. <laughs> um, David David Carradine said he took this role because he didn't want to be the guy from Kung Fu. And it's... There's a twist at the end which relates partly to his costume, which... So when I was at university, I went to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the cinema, um, at the art cinema here in in Sheffield. And I think there's two ways you can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's the same with the end of Death Race 2000. Either you will find it scary and terrifying and kind of Orwellian and creepy, which I think is probably what they're going for. Or, like we did in this dark cinema auditorium, as Leatherface chases this half-dressed woman through a forest, the laughs got bigger and bigger because it just became silly. <laughs> okay. And it, was, and it was just kind of like... You think they just kind of wrote themselves into a corner and went, this? This is how you get out of it? It's not a very long film, which is to its credit. It, let's say, it has some interesting stuff. If you like, if you like Clockwork Orange, if you like that sort, this isn't Clockwork Orange. It's not even close. But if you like that style, if you like that aesthetic in particular, it's a very, very aesthetic film. If you like slightly weird, pulpy B movies, give it a watch. If you're thinking, oh, it'll be like Ronin, 
it's not like Ronin. If you're watching it for the car stuff, you're watching it for the wrong reasons. If you kind of, you know, if you're two-thirds of the way down the bottle of Malbec and you want to just have some silly fun for an hour, hour or so, give Death Race 2000 a try. And I haven't seen the remake of this, so I'm very, very interested to see what ideas and concepts made it through. So, Marty, why don't you tell us about Death Race 2006? Uh, 2008, uh, and I can answer your question now. The the concepts that made it through were there is a race called the Death Race, and it has a driver in it called Frankenstein, and that's it. There may be there may be other names. Oh, and David Carradine uh, sort of has a voice cameo at the start. Let me set the scene. So this is a 2008 remake of Death Race 2000. It's directed by Paul W S Anderson. Ooh. Known of, for sort almost of famous? No, no, not at all. Paul, that was Paul it, Thomas Anderson, wasn't Paul, it? No, it wasn't Paul Thomas Anderson either. But Tom Paul, you often get the two of them mixed up. Paul Thomas Anderson is the good one. Paul W S Anderson <laughs> is the guy that makes kind of low budget shit. Paul Thomas Anderson is the guy that did Magnolia and a bunch of other very well regarded movies. Paul W S Anderson is the guy that gave us Mortal Kombat, Event Horizon. Um, Aliens vs. Predator, uh, Resident Evil Afterlife, the remake of The Three Musketeers, of the remake of the remake, and other quality output. Death Race is about the near future. And this is like, the, it, it fails at almost the first hurdle. It throws up a title card saying the year is 2012. The US economy has uh. collapsed. Um, uh. Prisons are now privately run corporations. Everyone watches this thing called the death race. Um, and I was kind of like, really? I mean, if you'd have said the year is 2016 and politics has brought countries to their knees, maybe I'm on board. But 2012 was quite a good year. <laughs> anyway, um, the whole concept is, the it's the near future times are bad unemployment is growing u.s economy has collapsed um penitentiaries are now private corporations that um stream like live events there's a bit of the running man in it where there's like you know people tune in to watch people get killed um a steel worker named jensen ames uh played by the Stath, loses his job when a steel mill closes he comes home to see his wife and baby daughter and a masked man breaks in um kills his wife he's wounded and he is then found guilty of his wife's murder because the real killer stuck a knife on his on his person after knocking him out and he gets sentenced to a prison called the Terminal Prison, which is basically like a mile offshore with like a long, thin bridge leading to it. Prisons are private corporations and the Terminal raises money for running it by conducting pay-per-view internet races, including the titular Death Race. This involves prisoners driving heavily armoured cars with weapons like machine guns, rocket launchers, and if a prisoner wins five races, he gets his freedom, in theory. The film opens with a race like this, with Frankenstein being voiced by David Carradine, and unfortunately he dies, but he's one of the public's favourite characters, so they pretend like he didn't, and they bring in Jensen Ames to wear the mask and go and race because of reasons. Um, basically, it's all just a bunch of babble <laughs> to to get to the racing part. Um, you've got lots of American muscle racing around the prison grounds, through warehouses and docks, because you know the production designers clearly found a disused factory or something uh, and went, we'll use this. This is great free production value. Um, 
it's it's very the racing itself is very very computer game like in that you know there are um oil slicks from the car there's napalm there are like little badges you can run over on the track that give you offensive weapons and defense they enable your weapons um when they introduce the races like Mario Kart. This is like brutal grey Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> you know, when they introduce the characters, they have their name like flung up in CG rendered 3D lettering behind them. Um, right. And yeah, it's it's deeply, deeply grim. It takes itself very seriously. There is none of that arch camp edge that you get in the original Death Race. Jensen, like the car, as they say, the Jensen Interceptor, so not O-N like Jensen Button, but Jensen like the Jensen Interceptor, um, he has an arch enemy played by Fast and Furious's Tyrese Gibson, who basically plays a slightly slightly nastier version of the same character from Fast and Furious. (laughs) He just doesn't laugh quite as much. The best guy in the whole movie is uh, Jensen's chief mechanic, who's called Coach and is played by... Ian McShane, Lovejoy himself, or Elsewhere okay. Engine, he's so good because he's got that beautiful Ian McShane drawl where he basically <laughs> he's this movie's filled with some really great actors or really great movie stars like Stath, like Ian McShane. The bad guy is played by Joan Allen, who is the warden of the prison. Um, who basically stands around looking grim and tight-lipped and orders everyone around to do the death race so that she can make money. Um, It's very thin writing for somebody who is as good as Joan Allen. And (laughs) quite frankly, she must have done this one for the money because I can't understand why you sign on any other way. I think the same has got to be true of Ian McShane. And the Stath did it because he's like, a car racing thing where I get to look grim and ripped, I'm in. And this is, of course, 2008. This is pre him joining the Fast Universe and feels a teeny bit like a a sort of a, a, a prologue to that kind of thing um is this the layer cake to his uh, to the states casino royale a little bit yes so <sighs> this movie went through a lot of false starts it took a very long time for studios to kind of wrangle it there were decades of sort of aborted starts and reboots um apparently at one point tom cruise was both on as producer and a leading man with um, his producing partner, Paula Wagner, who I think does end up producing this somehow. Um, Heaven knows how Paul W.S. Anderson managed to get his proposed reworking done. I have a feeling that Cruz (laughs) stepped away when he read the original script that was put to to him by going, well, hang on, this is arse. I'm not going to do this. Um, (laughs) They obviously wanted to do a futuristic sequel that was going to be titled Death Race 3000, but it wasn't very budget-friendly, and so they've got this kind of gritty prequel-slash-remake. Um, you can get that they that you see what they're trying to do. The racing sequences are, I was incompetent at most. There are some interesting kind of ideas, but the cars are sort of uniformly grey and rusty-looking, and they're shot mm. with shaky cam and snappy editing, so you can't really tell what's going on. The course itself appears to be a semi-oval around a disused steelworks with some shortcuts, so it's very computer gamey. And, you know, there's a sense of speed. There's some interesting ideas behind there, but the cars themselves are, aren't are very interesting, and the driving is like classic 
lug movie car, stamp on the throttle, stamp on the brake, change gear a million times, <laughs> make sure that the gear knob is not an actual gear knob, but has like a skull or a snake's head and light up LED eyes. <laughs> There's a teeny bit of the wacky races in the in the sort of uh, the deterrence you have for other cars. You know, there's just basically endless bullets mm. spewing out of chain guns, firing at other vehicles, and there's oil slicks and napalm and stuff like that. There, each car has a navigator, which for no apparent reason it has to be a female from the female prison. Uh, and so, of course, there's sort of 2000s era gratuitous. They arrive in a bus and they're filmed getting off the bus in slow-mo and there is... Um, <sighs> like hair commercial um, flicking of long long tresses of hair and lingering slow-mo on butts and crop top midriffs yeah. and so on and you know they are apparently navigators to help the drivers around the course but the course is like three corners why are they there I don't know um largely pointless sort of there for window dressing both uh, in the movie and in, in in real life not not a great look I mean, this has got forty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's kind of dumb fun. It's it's very it takes itself very seriously. But if you watch it, not taking it seriously and laughing at all the ridiculous stuff, there is fun to be had here. <laughs> like the state is always watchable in this thing. You know, he's 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 got such presence on screen. He glowers. He's got the physique for it, and mm. you know, Tyrese is <laughs> well. He's the same guy, but slightly darker. <sighs> Ian McShane lifts every line he has you know he's really good i wouldn't recommend like if you can find this for free watch it but i couldn't find it for free on any streaming service at all so you know if this happens to come up on tv it's worth a watch if you're not paying for it if you are paying for it then i don't think you're going to get your money's worth (laughs) it's 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 sort of i don't know this this exists in a kind of time where fast and furious had been made but probably not fast five level and so this is Mm. you know it was shot on a budget for almost i think six between 45 and 65 million dollars and barely scraped 78 million dollars worldwide and yet there have been four sequels to this there have been so there there was yeah there's director video death race 2 death race 3 inferno and then death race beyond anarchy so they've really cranked out you know really squeezed this until there's nothing left so <laughs> i don't really i don't really recommend it it's it's kind of entertaining in a in a lunk-headed way um, i must admit that there's bits i do enjoy but if you want to see stath in a car movie i you know go watch one of the fast movies preferably go and watch the hobbs and shaw spin-off which i maintain is still brilliant or watch the transporter or watch him in the italian job he's just as charismatic in all of those movies and they are all much better than this so there you go um two sets of death race movies one of them the older one probably more fun to watch than this one but that brings us to we'll have to whiz through our final bits of the show what has henry cashwell been up to in the eternity since we last posted episode Henry has done his final Carfection video, and it is for the sublime Ferrari 550. This was part of the 550 365 GTB4 Daytona double header. Um, it absolutely ticked all the boxes that a good car video does because before the, the episode had even finished, I was looking at the classifieds for 550s because 
they are just they're just a peak of something and I want one really quite badly. However, since his move to Haggerty, there's been a good stream of videos coming out and I really enjoyed his latest one with the I think misnamed SLR Mercedes SLR HDK. McLaren Mercedes, isn't it? McLaren Mercedes SLR HDK, which is nomenclature that's been pulled from the McLaren F1. So HDR is HDK the high downforce kit. HDK, sorry. <laughs> HDR is high d- dynamic range. But yes, it's uh, high something. High downforce kits. High kit. downforce kits. So whenever you see a McLaren F1 that's got, or a road car at least, that's got a wing on the back and a big splitter at the front, that's the high downforce kit. And for reasons, the McLaren Mercedes SLR owning community is willing to throw vast sums of money at their cars to turn them into all sorts of um, bewinged creations that, uh, I was going to say Gordon Murray, well, yeah, it was, was Gordon Murray, would probably scoff at and wonder why they've bastardised his design quite so much. It's a very interesting looking car. It's not to my taste at all. And I find it kind of strange that owners are, are like, yeah, you can, you can take my car and then make it uglier. Um, but... You know, these are quite unique vehicles. They come with a shit gearbox and shit brakes and a brilliant engine. Somewhat interesting looks and fantastic side exit exhausts. And this fixes none mm. of the problems and, and just makes them uglier. So for my money, this is absolutely <laughs> bonkers. But this is a corner of, of of the car sphere that I don't, you know, I don't live in. I don't buy SLRs and and it could be that owners love them for what they are good at, which is presumably driving very long distances and making dirty V8 noises. And they're like, you know what, my car needs a bright blue paint job and a big old wing, and then a <laughs> diffuser on the back that looks like someone made it out of MDF. That's not to criticise Henry's video, which is very fair and very interesting and really well shot. I just think the car looks like ass. Also, the the thing that I really admired about this video was that it's really easy with YouTube to see when embargoes lift and you get 20 videos about the same car. And by the time you've watched two, you know all the details. This was a car that... I mean, it's a car that I like, and I had no idea that this had happened. There was no press release, as far as I'm aware, that this car even existed. But then he also talks about the SLR GT, which not the RML-built cars that became All Mate Race Series, which I did know about, but actually the original prototype, which they had footage of, which was a McLaren, uh, a, 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 an SLR. That they nicked a load of bits with from the McLaren from F1. From the McLaren F1 GTR. Yeah, I which, found that very interesting. That was that was the kind of yeah. the, the gem of this video is showing that where this car came from, that there was original factory kind of mock-up, um, if you like, of the of what would go on to be mm. this HDK, that they kind of went, hey, we and- could do this for a one-make racing series that sort of happened and sort of didn't. Um, I, I-, and, and I think it also speaks a lot to Henry's journalistic skills and, and rigour that he didn't just go, oh, I've been invited to McLaren to come and drive this new car. Isn't it great? But actually, there was kind of there was a, a depth and a digging and a, you know, here's the genesis, here's 
the story behind this car, this chassis specifically, which in itself was interesting. And there's also a small car in Dinoco Blue in it, which I really enjoyed. Yes, which if you've listened to the uh, interview that we did with uh, with Henry for the intermission, he he does have does have small children and he's watched cars a lot and he was he's he's well into that world so uh, yeah i yes, really enjoyed that that was great um okay let's whiz through youtube pick of the week um whether it be a video or a channel if you don't have a channel that's all right cuz i don't really have a channel I, this I have week. both <laughs> um you, i there are there are plenty in this world um i will actually cheat slightly um so the video that i had picked for this was a 360 camera view of, I think it was George Russell doing the Las Vegas Grand Prix demo run. By the way, F1, when you get to Las Vegas, you're doing a night race, put neons under the cars, please. It looks amazing. And make it change color when they're like regening or deploying power and stuff. It would be fantastic. The thing I liked about this video, and this is kind of a bit techy, but they had one 360 camera mounted on the car. And throughout the course of a moderately short demo run, they went through different shots and it transitioned from one shot to different types of shots, the high shots, the low shots, the tight shots, the wide shots, all from one camera. A great example of what technology can now let us do that we get one camera, you get all these shots, you edit it all together, you are done. That's, you know, you can create something run and gun really easily and it looks sensational. Over Christmas, for my channel pick, I have picked Donut Media because I've been kind of binging some of their series. And they do these um, series they call the uh, High Car, Low Car, where they have two cars. So they do one where they have two Subaru WRXs. And each episode, they do an upgrade. So they do a brake upgrade. And the High Car gets the $4,500, you know, AP racing brake set or whatever it was. And low car gets the cheap one. They're going to upgrade the suspension. High car gets the expensive posh stuff. Low car gets the cheap stuff. And they see what difference it makes. They did another one with overlanding. They do a lot of interesting, good videos that feel authentic and they feel fan-led. Um, and it, it's really watchable. It feels... It has that kind of Mighty Car Mods feel where it, it's enthusiasts talking to enthusiasts. And it has some style to it. It, it has fun to it. It's well-written. It's tightly edited. Well, well worth just sort of dipping in. Um, I will add... And this sort of sadly came out around the same time as the Ken Block news. Um, Tuttle uh, Porsche released a hour-long video of... Um, I think it was the Safari Rally they did last year. Great, great watch. Proper. This is your if you if you if you know if you're a proper bubble hatted rally fan, well, well worth a watch. If you love old Porsches, it's well worth a watch. Yeah, I haven't finished watching it, but I, what I've seen is really, really well made and very interesting on an event that I don't really have a great deal of uh, knowledge about. So yeah, if you're if you like rallying and old air called nine elevens, then this is pretty much your thing. Uh, I've got a couple of videos I'm going to highlight. Uh, the first is 
slightly hooky download. I'm not 100% sure how long this is going to be here, <laughs> but it is my favourite documentary almost ever. It's called The Mission Supersonic Dreams, and this is about the 1997 effort to take the world land speed record beyond the sound barrier with Thrust SSC, Richard Noble's oh, wow. attempt to break the sound barrier uh, with Andy Green driving. And this is a documentary that is was aired on BBC. This is how I came to know about land speed record cars. It was aired on the BBC, on BBC Two, I think, at the time. It has a spectacular soundtrack, so evocative, and it's brilliantly made yeah. following the journey of the Thrust SSC project as they go to the Black Rock Desert and then, and then as they go off to to try and solve the problem of the 1997 era active suspension and how they deal with you know all the car problems that you're going to get when you're operating in such extreme conditions and right at the on the very edge of what we understand about you know running a land-based vehicle at near supersonic speeds um, it's a really, really brilliant watch. And it's it's so in-depth. The characters on the team shine out so brightly. Richard Noble's very, very well-spoken. Andy Green is obviously your classic RAF, stiff upper lip pilot. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the people who shine are the people who are volunteering to help fix the car, to help cook the food. Um, Andy Green's then-girlfriend uh, was... Uh, had had also you know, taken time out from the RAF to I think call all the uh, to to basically manage them on the radio. So she's the person that uh, gives them clearance to to roll down the test track. Um, the the guys that are turning the car around at the end of the, each run because if you're going to break the the Guinness World Record, you have to do two runs within an hour, and you've got to get the car, retrieve it, stow the parachute, refuel it, get it all set and safe, ready to do a second run in order that the average of the two can be calculated and you can see if that one's broke the record. And just watching these guys struggle with car problems where the parachutes don't open because the parachutes are secondhand from Richard Noble's <laughs> um, Thrust 2 car and he got them secondhand oh, from the wow. RAF. So these things are probably 50 years old by this point. It's a brilliant, brilliant documentary. I've been searching for a good copy of this for years. You used to be able to find it on YouTube and then it got taken down because of copyright strikes. And suddenly I found it from a random Google search and it cropped up on a site called Archive org the internet archive and you can download yeah you can download an, an an mkv of this and i would encourage you to do so because this is probably one of the very best um automotive documentaries i've ever seen in terms of quality the soundtrack honestly the soundtrack is so good and the mm. sense of joy you get when spoiler alert they do break the sound barrier this happened a very long time ago um <laughs> it's i can't describe it this is my favorite automotive documentary of all time so i if you watch anything from this 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 program this podcast go and grab a copy of this and watch it because it is the best thing. And hopefully it'll get you as interested in land speed record cars as it did me. Um, and for the channel, is, I'm just going to put well, down... Before we do that, sorry, that show, I have a vague recollection of it. Is that the one where they're having problems with the active ride system at the back? Yes. And there's like engineers or something going, well, you know, can we do this? Can we do this? And there's this poor mechanic with his head in his hands who's basically just at a point of going... 
do whatever you want. It yeah. will, we'll he's just the lock designer. It out. It'll work. He's the designer. And oh, I think, at, yeah, he's the guy that designed the, 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 air, the, um, the computer controlled suspension system. And I think Andy Green is like, it's not working properly. Uh, can we try it locked out? And I think just the general, you know, they're out in the desert. They're running out of time. They're running out of money. Frustrations get the better of them. And he's like, do what you want. You know, I think he he was at the end of his tether at that point. I don't know if they set the record with the active system in place or not. I do know they had problems with it, but it, mm. yes, it's that documentary, and it doesn't shy oh, away excellent. from it doesn't shy away from the sort of the stress of trying to do this. And you know, they're doing it on a ridiculously tight budget. And and if you think about mm. how how hard it has been for them to get Bloodhound SSC running when Richard Noble was involved, and then latterly when when other people have taken over the project. Um, it would appear that funding for these things just isn't there. And I just can't see why you'd pour money into something as ludicrous as, you know, that Red Bull skydive thing that the guy did, which mm. it was beaten in a second. Like it seemed like that was beaten within a year. Whereas no one has beaten the land speed record since 1997. It still resides with Andy Green and Great Britain and Thrust SSC. Wow. It's still the land speed record. 762 miles an hour, I think. Two-way average. That was thrust thrust SSC. Yeah, nineteen ninety-seven. It's but- still it's still ours. It's still the record. <laughs> and so you know, wow. if Red Bull were to pour some money into the Bloodhound project that wanted to do a thousand miles an hour using rockets as well as jet engines, it'd be pocket change. <laughs> you know, take eight grand, eight eight million quid off of Max Verstappen's salary and stick it into this. <laughs> But anyway, and, and very, Fire very quickly Christian now. Fire Christian into the sun for, yeah. uh, um, for good measure. We, we've gone on a long channel. Enough. Channel, I was just going to say Hoonigan, you know, in honour of Ken yeah. Block, go and watch any or all of their content because I think you'll get a kick out of it. Which brings us to the end of this first episode of 2023 from the Automovie podcast. Um, please share the podcast. Please give us your feedback on what we've been doing. Please tell us what you'd like us to see more of in 2023. We have been a little erratic in scheduling, but we're going to try and work on that and get things out on a slightly more even keel Uh, so yes do get in touch Um, comments at automoviepod.com and we are at automoviepod on socials Um, you may want to try the email first since Twitter is is having a moment right now and um, (laughs) we will see you next time we're going to go off and grab some grim looking cars and some machine guns and death race it out of here (laughs) until next time everyone (laughs) 